The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come now, like we do every week, not relying on yesterday's mercies or yesterday's grace, but asking for fresh grace and fresh mercy to see Jesus and to worship him and to follow him with all that's in us by the power of your spirit. Jesus is still working and teaching. So King Jesus, come and work and teach now, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, this is our last week of Advent. And throughout this series, we've seen King Jesus continue to work through the Holy Spirit to shine light into dark hearts that had their hopes set on earthly comforts. We've seen him talk that way to this Jewish people who had been hoping for a, a conquering king and said they got a crucified king. We've called this Advent fulfilled. That is, the coming king had come, and this is the, the beginning outpouring of his kingdom. We've seen that King Jesus, hope incarnate, died for our sins, rose again, and called a people to repentance to make them citizens of his kingdom and a family forever, devoted to him and devoted to one another. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, you'd think by now we would have figured it all out, no more issues in the church, and yet we still struggle running to our earthly hopes. We still do. I still struggle. And here's the problem with earthly hopes I want us to think about this morning. The problem with earthly hopes is that they're either A, never full enough, or B, they always run out. They're never full enough or they always run out. So that's true of even the best things in life. So here's what I want to do in the beginning to set up our problem. Just think with me about how even the best things in this life are never full enough and they always run out. Let's say you have a, a physical or emotional or even relational issue that you want healing for. It's broken. It's, it's you're beat up in it. And let's say you get healing. I praise God. We'll see someone praise God for healing this morning. But does that healing guarantee your suffering is done in this life? Does that healing bring any kind of eternal comfort? When COVID ends... Will it end suffering or bring any kind of eternal comfort? Is that what you're holding your breath for, for this thing to end? Will that bring you what you're looking for? Well, we all know it won't, even though we act like it will. Why? Because it's not full enough and it will run out. Or let's say your party has won the election and you're happy and you're even relieved. But at best, that person can be in office for eight years. And we all know they will never do enough according to God's standards because they're finite sinners. Right? It's not full enough. It will certainly run out. Or let's say Governor Waltz or your church starts getting more with your agenda about how to handle all this. 
Right? They do the things you think they should do. No more masks. Stricter masks. Right? They get with you on your agenda. That would be nice for you. Until the next time you disagree with a leader or find yourself anxious about what's happening in our culture. Which will be like the next day. It's not full enough. It's going to run out. Let's say your family is a mess right now. This holiday season is painful because your, your, your immediate family or maybe your extended family, it's, it's just a mess. And let's say your family life gets better. Let's say you start knocking it out of the park as a dad or husband or wife. Let's say your spouse starts knocking it out of the park because we all know they're the problem anyways. Right? So we'd be thankful That would be good. We would praise God as elders if your family life begins to glorify Christ more. But I'll let you in on a secret. Your spouse will disappoint you again. Your kids will still sin. And you will continue to sin and make mistakes. It's not full enough. It will run out. Kids, let's say you get exactly what you want for Christmas. That would be awesome. Right? You would love your parents for a little while. But in a few days, or a week, or a month at best, or an hour if you're normal, you'll be thinking about something else you want. Right? Unless you can play with that thing that you got. That thing that you want so bad right now won't fill up your heart forever. In fact, Christmas is the holiday that cheats us most. It's this holiday that's notorious for having us run around like crazy people, seeking an elusive feeling that keeps slipping away. And when you've all done it, you've all felt like, ah! Right? What are you trying to do? You're trying to create that moment or meet that expectation or have that family thing get better. And then it just... Slips through your fingers again. Now it's okay to want these things. Again, I'm not saying don't care about these things. That these things don't bring some kind of joy. Or even that these things can't glorify God. All I'm saying is we put so much hope on these things that we set ourselves up for a life of constant disappointment. Constant disappointment. And on the other side of that disappointment is bitterness, frustration. And on the other side of that bitterness is fear and frustration and a kind of grasping for control. It's got to control something in my life. And if you're feeling these things lately, my prayer this week is that this passage will help us recalibrate our hearts onto the only place of sure Hope. So we are going to run through this whole chapter today. So buckle up and we get to see King Jesus on the move. So point number one, verses one to 11, is this miracle of restoration. So Sam just read this. So I'm going to summarize these verses and hone in on a couple things. So walk quickly with me through these verses. In verses one to three, we see Peter and John. And again, they're on their way to the temple to pray. They're just always Praying as we look in this book of Acts. And as they're on their way, some people are finishing their daily routine of bringing a man who had been lame from birth. And according to chapter 2, or chapter 4, I should say, was at least 40 years old. So we're going to read on this story into chapter 4, and we'll see that this man was at least 40 years old. Imagine that, being lame for 40 years. 
These folks would set people like this man at the gate that was headed into the temple around prayer times and gathering times in the hope that those heading to pray would show mercy to them. Big crowds, better chance to raise some money. And so as Peter and John are walking by, he asks them for help. Now in verses 4 to 8, Peter directs his gaze at him and says, Look at us. We're going to come back to Peter's look in just a few minutes. But as he looks at this man, he says, I have no money, but I do have something else to give to you. I have healing for you in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Peter takes him by the right hand, and in the name of Jesus, this man who has been lame from birth begins to walk and leap. And the more I meditated on this this week, I thought, of course he leaps. What else would you do if you couldn't do anything for 40 years besides leap and praise God? This man knows God is at work. How does he know? Because for 40 plus years, no one else has been able to do anything for him. And in a moment, he's able to walk. And then in verses 9 to 11, the people see this man walking and leaping and they gather around Peter and John. It says they're filled with wonder and amazement. They're utterly astounded because they recognize the man as the one who'd always been sitting outside the gate and asking for help. So the people know something has happened. This guy's been here forever. Why is he walking? What is going on? For at least 40 years he's been lame and he's been carried to this gate day by day. And here he is leaping and praising God. And so then we see the people run to Peter and John. So what we know from these verses is that a a mighty miracle has happened. And what I want to look at is how it happened and therefore see who is at work to get the crowds and therefore our attention here. We're going to get our answer from verses 4 and 6 and 16. So let's look at verse 4 together. Verse 4 says, Peter directed his gaze at him and said, look at us. This is strange. The man is looking at them. (laughs) He's asking for their help. And Peter looks back and says, Look at us. Now, the word for directed his gaze is this very strange word that barely ever shows up. That means like an intense stare. I had this professor in seminary named Jason DeRoshi, and I imagine that this is what this word is talking about. He would pierce your eyes and just look at you until you almost felt afraid. That's what I thought of when I was studying this week. And I think something is going on inside of Peter in this moment. And it's emphasized in his piercing gaze, asking this man to look at him. Kids, have you ever had your parents tell you something, and then as you're looking at them, kind of, they say, hey, look at me. Why? Why do they do that? Well, because they can tell you're not quite in tune with how important they feel like this moment is. Your parents are about to fix everything, and you don't understand. They're going, look at me. I need you to hear what I'm about to say. Well, that's what Peter is doing. This man had thousands, hundreds, thousands of times a day said, can I have some help, and looked at people waiting to see if they would help. And so Peter's going, listen, you need to be aware. I want you to take in everything that's about to happen. Look at me. He wants the full attention of this man. 
Now look at verse 6. Here's what Peter says. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now we talked about this in the introduction, but this man is, is looking for money. Not asking, he doesn't say, can you heal me? Can you, can you make me walk? He needs money. Peter doesn't have that, but Peter has Jesus for this man. This healing happens in the name of Jesus. Peter is declaring that he is not the worker of this miracle, but Jesus is still the one working. He's still the one teaching, Acts 1.1. Jesus is center stage. But how does this actually work? How does this actually, how does the healing work? What should we expect today? We'll look at verse 16. We get some clues Verse 16 says, in his name, here's Peter explaining what has just happened. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter is answering the question, how was this man made strong? How does he have perfect health? And we see two answers in this verse, and we need to see them both to get a full picture of what's going on. So the first answer is that this man has perfect health and is made strong by faith in his name. Now, who had this faith? Who had this faith? I think Peter had it. That's what's going on, and most commentators Think the same thing. I think that's what we see as Peter stares this guy down awkwardly. Right? He's getting his attention in verse 4. Peter, in that moment, has faith rising up in him in the name of Jesus that he was about to work a miracle for the sake of his name. Peter's faith for this miracle is highlighted here. That's one answer. Why is this man well and strong? Peter had faith in the name of of Jesus to make this man well and strong. But there's a second answer here. We've got to look closely to see it. This man is healed by faith in the name of Jesus. But then it says, second half of the verse, the faith that is through Jesus. Now, every other place in this passage and in the book of Acts that we see faith in Jesus, it's talking about trusting in Jesus. But here, Luke, who is very precise with his word choice, uses the word through, not in. He is saying, by using the word through, this faith that is through Jesus, he's saying that Jesus himself gave Peter the faith to trust him. In other words, the faith was a gift given to Peter in the moment to work this miracle in the name of Jesus. And it was a gift given by Jesus himself. Who worked this miracle? Jesus, and not just in some mystical way that we're trying to figure out, he gave Peter the very faith he needed to work a miracle for the sake of his name. In other words, the one giving the faith needed to work this miracle through Peter was Jesus Christ himself. I think in verse 4, as Peter directs his stare, Jesus is working the faith in him needed to work this miracle so that the crowd would be drawn in to hear about an even greater miracle. What does this teach us about miracles and faith? It teaches us that Jesus works miracles for his purposes on his schedule and gives the power as needed. Should we be expectant and pray? Yes. 
Can we demand? No. And we don't have apostles anymore. But I think we can still see this gift available to us today. And I bring it up because we're a church that believes that all the gifts are still available today. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, we are told that the, the gift of faith is still available to us. And it's right next to the gift of healing. Or we can go to James 15, 515, and we see the elders called to pray for healing. How will that healing come about? We see that the, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. This isn't talking about the faith that brings salvation. This is talking about a gift of the Spirit given by King Jesus to have an unshakable belief in the moment you need it, perhaps to endure suffering, perhaps for healing or a miracle, all to point to the glory of Jesus and his eternal healing work of sin. And that's what we're going to see in chapter 3. Just ask you, I want you to be expectant and eager. When was the last time you asked for the gift of faith? Give me the gift of faith. I want the gift of faith. When was the last time you thought King Jesus could break in like this to heal in his name? Now again, we cannot demand it. King Jesus will give it on his schedule for his purposes. But we believe this here at this church. And I want us to pray for it and ask for it. We would love To see all sorts of physical and spiritual and emotional brokenness get healed. If it would get people's attention for the sake of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't we want that to happen? Now I do believe this was a unique time in history. To confirm and spread rapidly the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. But I also believe these gifts are still available today. Because King Jesus is still alive today and can still give the gift of faith to work miracles that bring about the glory of his name. And here's what we'll see throughout Acts over and over and over again. This miracle is not the end. It's not even the point. It's the beginning. This miracle was meant to give greater healing to a greater amount of people than even this man who could now suddenly walk. Which brings us to point number two. The message of resurrection. In verse 12, Peter says to the people, why are you looking at us like we did this? It almost seems like an unfair question. Well, because didn't you just do that? So what's his point here? His point is that these people were tempted to begin to worship the apostles. We'll see that later on in the book of Acts. These apostles are doing crazy things in the name of Jesus and people are tempted to worship them. There's a temptation to make an idol of them. So what does Peter do as these people are tempted to lift up a man? Well, he reminds them who they should be praising and reminds them of what they did instead of praising. So what we're going to see in these verses is that he's going to cut them in the hopes that it will heal them. He's going to cut them right to the heart in the hopes that it will heal them. So look at verse 13. Peter says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, is calling their religious heritage to bear now. He says, that God glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Now when we hear the word servant, We wouldn't have even heard it the way that they heard it with Isaiah just ringing in their ears. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 53. Here Peter is telling them that God glorified Jesus as the suffering servant of Isaiah. 
The one who would be slain for sins and and rise again. He had the seal and approval of God himself. This Jesus had the, the seal and approval of God himself. And they decided to crucify him, to kill him, after a pagan ruler had decided to let him go. Because the pagan ruler knew he was innocent. Peter will not let them just eat their popcorn and marvel at the miracle without remembering their absolute madness just weeks before. He's saying Jesus is the promised, accepted, and glorified Messiah. He is Lord. He's been confirmed as Lord by their God in verses 14 to 15. They rejected him and killed him. Then in verses 14 to 15, he goes on to say, Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus is the righteous one. He is perfect. He committed no wrongs. He lived the perfect life. He was God incarnate. And they rejected him to ask for a murderer. Jesus is the author of life, and they decided to take his life. That's like crazy, right? That's the point. He's saying, do you remember what you just did? You want to worship us, and you, you miss the one you should have been worshiping. You, you want the miracle, but you don't want the miracle worker who can save you from your sins. And then he says, this Jesus didn't stay dead. God raised him up from the grave, and he is still alive and working now. And then we just saw in verse 16 that the author of all physical and spiritual life was the one behind this physical resurrection that would lead soon to spiritual resurrection for even these ignorant people in the crowd. There is no life, physical or spiritual, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no life outside of him, and he's saying, you killed him. Then finally, in verses 17 to 18, he says, I know you acted in ignorance, But what you have seen is simply God's plan fulfilled that the Christ would suffer and rise again. What you are seeing now in this healing is that same Christ who is now alive and working among you. His point in saying this is you can plead ignorance no longer. The time has come for you to decide. You slaughtered your eternal hope and comfort to pursue earthly hope and comfort. And yet here he is working. Here he is granting me a gift of faith so that you would see him again. Now is the moment where you cannot say any longer that you're ignorant. That he's alive. That he's here. That he's Lord. And so then we get to point number three. This message of refreshing I get really encouraged when I read Peter's sermons that he says the same thing over and over again. Confirms what I feel like I do week after week. So what is the call to us when we see the Lord Jesus in all his holiness, in all his righteousness, in all his life-giving, miracle-working power, and we see all the obvious and subtle ways we reject him? Verse 19 says the same thing we heard just a couple weeks ago. Repent. Peter calls them to repent so that their sins might be blotted out. The idea of blotted out here means completely gone as if it was never there. It never happened. All their sins blotted out like that. 
Some of you come into this Christmas season just filled with shame, knowing you're playing games, knowing you're covering up your sin, knowing no one at that family gathering or that work gathering really knows who you are. And if they found out, they would not love you. They would not accept you. And here Jesus would say, do you have your sins blotted out? Like they never happened. Jesus. Imagine you just heard this. Like... We killed the king, the holy one, the righteous one, the author of life. And again, imagine hearing that Jesus, the righteous, holy, life-giving, miracle-working king, stands ready to forgive if we'll simply repent. That is good news. And there's bad news. There are only two choices that Peter gives in this sermon. One is repent and be saved, and the other is reject and be destroyed. Repent and be saved or reject him and be destroyed no matter what you think is dividing our country. Now this is what divides the world. Repent and be saved or reject him and be destroyed. I'll show it to you right in these verses. Look at number one. We'll start with the bad news and then end with the good news. Option one, reject him and be destroyed. Verses 22 to 23. Moses said, again, hear him appealing to their heritage. That they were so proud of. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. That's Jesus. Peter is saying, you've seen him die. You've heard he was raised. You've now seen his power today. Do not miss him again to your own destruction. I say to you, if you're watching on the live stream or at home and you haven't yet dealt with Jesus, do not miss him again to your own destruction. Don't keep running to earthly hopes and earthly comforts. Peter's saying, run to Jesus now or you will be destroyed. You will destroy yourself. That's option one. Option two is glorious. Turn from sin and be eternally blessed. Look at verses 24 to 26. Listen to him appeal again to their heritage. He's just showing them what he's doing is he continues to appeal to prophets. And Moses is going, you know this already. (laughs) You've heard this already. Your prophets, your fathers spoke these things. Listen, he's here. Verses 24 to 26. All the prophets who have spoken... From Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. And you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Oh, that would have stung He sent his promised servant, his promised offspring, his conquering king to you. Why? To overthrow Rome, to get political power, to get you your rights. No, to turn you from your wickedness. That's how you get blessing. You turn from your wickedness to Jesus. The prophets have been saying that this servant would come. Everything has been pointing to him. Jesus is the promised servant, the promised offspring from Genesis 3 and Genesis 12 that will bless all the families of the earth. One day every tribe and tongue and nation and language and people will be around the throne to worship the lamb that was slain for their sins. That's the blessing. Turn from your sins. 
And God sent him to you first, Israel, so that you could turn from your wickedness right now. So he's saying, turn now. Stop your sin now. Everyone in this room, turn now. On the live stream, turn now. Stop your sins now. Kids, turn from your sin now. If you're in this room and you haven't dealt with Jesus yet, turn to Jesus now. Turn from earthly comforts. Turn from earthly hopes. Turn to Jesus now. Find eternal joy. It literally hangs in the balance. Repent and be saved. Reject him and be destroyed. So we get to the application now, the true hope that only gets better. And I skipped reading two verses because I wanted to end with them. I think they're the, the point of what he's saying. Look at verses 19 to 21. It says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send his Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now repentance has to happen for these people right now, for them to turn from their sins and have Jesus save them. But we will learn throughout the rest of the scriptures that Christian life, once you've already repented, the Christian life is the life of repentance. Over and over again. And we know repentance sounds scary. Why is repentance so scary? Because we have to stop pretending. We have to stop playing games. We've got to stop pretending like we can trick other people or trick God. We have to confess who we really are. And there's nothing more scary than actually looking in that mirror and going, that's actually who I am. I'm that deeply broken. I'm that ugly. I'm that full of sin. It means we have to confess that we've been hoping in the wrong things. It means we have to confess that we've been looking for life in other places other than the author of life. It means we have to confess that we've been counting on righteousness and justice coming from somewhere outside the only righteous and just one. I mean, the misplaced hope for life and justice outside of Jesus from the right and left political scene is a dead-end hamster wheel near heretical. It will destroy us. It means we have to confess that we've wanted comforts and rights more than to identify with the suffering servant who said, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. It means we have to confess coddling and loving, hating people in our hearts, our enemies, when Jesus came for his enemies so that we might be saved. It means we have to own our sin. It means we have to own our bitterness and our anger and our frustration and our false hopes and our distractions and our seeking earthly things more than the kingdom of God and maybe even admit that our biggest problem is in here and not out there. Whatever out there is for you. But aren't you ready for this? Aren't you worn out from all of that? Aren't you just weary from all of that? Running on that hamster wheel. Aren't you exhausted? Probably even more so because the crazy Christmas thing you're all doing, I'm doing. How is trying to be a better you in your own strength going for you? How's it going? <laughs> Feeling refreshed? 
How is hoping for a better world in someone else's strength apart from Jesus going for you? You feeling refreshed? Like how you describe yourself in 2020? I'm just refreshed. Do you want some refreshing? Do you want to feel refreshed? Peter's word would be repent. That times of refreshing may come. Lay down your sin. That times of refreshing may come. Turn from false hopes. Run to the only hope for true life. That times of refreshing may come. Run to the only hope for true righteousness and justice. That times of refreshing may come. If we want to be a people, and hear this clearly because our witness does matter. We're not just, we don't want to be a blood-bought family just in here happy that we're a family. That's not the point of blood-bought family. We want to be a people, don't we, that offer a cool, refreshing drink of Jesus to a broken and weary world looking for hope. And if we're going to do that, we need to start drinking there ourselves. (laughs) Individually and together. Do you want to be a refreshing church? Do you want to be a place that gives life? Or do you want to be a church that works for things that never satisfy us anyways? Do you want to be a church that shows the world we normally trust in Jesus until it gets hard or touches some of our idols? What we need to do is just run to Jesus together, away from everything else. There is free life in Jesus. Let's get up and walk towards Jesus. Do what I do with my kids, right? Look at me. <laughs> Look at me. We have been paralyzed by our own sin in this season. Just paralyzed. But we can walk with Jesus again. There is greater refreshing to be had in Christ than even the refreshing in a miracle of healing. There is full, eternal refreshing. The miracle of physical healing was meant to demonstrate the power of the risen Christ to save from sins and refresh your souls. When you hope in Jesus and turn from everything else as your hope, it is a hope that can only get better. In the beginning, we said all these other hopes can only make you bitter. This is the hope that can only get better. Here's why. Every time you walk with Jesus and away from your sin, what happens is you know him more. You trust him more. And as you know him and trust him more, you find out he's worthy of your trust. He's able to keep you and love you and sustain you and care for you in ways only he can. Every time you take him up on his offer to come and find rest for your soul, away from your hamster wheel pursuit of comfort and other things, you realize he is where you've always needed to be. I don't know how you feel this morning, shamed, broken, bitter, angry, frustrated, stressed. Where you need to be is with Jesus Christ. And here's the best news. Not only will he be a refreshing shepherd now, leading you to green pastures, still waters, restoring your soul. But what Advent is all about is Jesus is going to come again. He's coming again. God, it says here, God will send the appointed Christ for us and he will restore all the things. He will make all things new. 
He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more sin or suffering. There's a little girl that's been coming up to talk to me after the service lately. And I told her one of my favorite things to do in the Advent season is just to imagine what it's going to be like to be with Jesus. No sin, no suffering. The restoration of all things. Take an hour this week before Christmas. Just try to imagine that. What's that going to be like? No sin, no suffering, just in his presence. Jesus is the sure, true hope that can only get better. The more you repent and hope in him, the more refreshed you are in him until the day when we are with him forever, when you will be completely refreshed in his presence for all of eternity. That's the promise in this passage for those who repent. And we have seen over and over again in Acts, Jesus keeps his promises. Jesus is the only Advent hope that can save you from your sins and get better and better for all of eternity. So I want you to take a couple of minutes now before we come to communion and eat and drink with Jesus and repent. Lay down your idols. Lay down your earthly hopes and comforts at his feet and ask him to help you trust and hope in him again, knowing he is the only hope that will get better and better. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.